All right, I'm going to read the whole section that we're going to be covering tonight, and then we're going to break it down into chunks. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, through chapter 4, verse 7. Paul goes on and says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. That is what I mean. The law which came 400... Uh, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Yet there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when full, the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God." Now, there is a lot here, as you can see, and we got a lot to cover. And to be honest with you, there are some sections in here that over the years I didn't fully understand. And it wasn't until that I really dug into it to be able to teach this to you that God actually unlocked for me two or three sections. And I can't wait to show you what that is. I'm, you, you always look at, at the teacher as like, boy, he has so much insight. No, you don't understand. Those of us who teach and preach have one of the greatest gifts because we actually have to study. <laughs> you know, if you know you're going to stand in, or sit, as I'm doing here, in front of 50 folks or so uh, every Tuesday night, and they're all sitting there with their notebooks open, you kind of want to give them something, right? <laughs> well, the neat thing about that is it makes me live in the Word, it makes me dive into the Word, and it makes me wrestle with these things. And in doing so, I get a great, great blessing, and I can't wait to show you, because in studying passages that I have read before that I didn't really fully understand, now I do. And boy, I can't wait to show you. Now, I want to point out something for you here. Look at verses 15 through 18. Paul says, to give a human example, what's the next word he uses? Brothers. Brothers. I want you to notice what has happened, the tone of his letter. He starts off by saying, you foolish Galatians. Now he's saying, 
I want you to listen, brothers. Remember when he started off, he's dealing with the fact that there are some who had crept in and taught him falsehood and he was frustrated with them. And he says, you foolish Galatians. But now he says, OK, I'm talking to those of you in the group now who are in Christ. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. And a lot of you may never realize this, but Paul is actually using now a very uh, well-known uh, debating method of a trained rabbi. And so when it seems like he sets something up and explains and then sets something else up and explains, and it feels like he's repeating himself a little bit, this was actually a very skilled debating method that rabbis used. Remember, he's dealing with these Judaizers who had crept in and said, the law of Moses, and you guys, you, 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 under, you, don't, you don't understand it fully unless you believe in Jesus and you do these things. And so he's using Jewish debating methods. He is also now saying, brothers, listen to me. And he begins to deal with something. And he says, God gave Abraham a promise and the, uh, here in this section. And the promise, by the way, refers to one promise that's in Genesis chapter 12. So put a bookmark in Galatians 3 uh, and, and look at Genesis chapter 12. And look at verse 7. So then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Now, if we were to just read that on just cursory reading, it sounds like the promise is to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. And that is a part of what was said. But Paul is actually referring to that section now and some others that I'm about to point out to you. And he's pointing out, though, that, that God is actually saying more than just plural, that he's actually referring to one. Look at what he says here in chapter three, verses 15 through 18. He said, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring. And then he says, who is Christ? And that's what he goes on and says, that's, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years after the promise does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so he's just reminding them, he says, okay, we're dealing with this message of salvation by grace, by faith alone, and that is goes all the way back to Abraham. And we've, we've already done a lot of this study. And so a lot of the stuff we're going to cover at the very beginning here, we've dealt with. So I'm going to move fast through it. But God gave Abraham a promise. And, and then he, but the word offspring can also mean not just many, but also one. And let me give you a couple examples from the Old Testament that show that it's very clear that it means just one. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 15. That's Genesis 3 verse 15. This is right after the fall. This is right after Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree they're not supposed to. And God is dealing. He's already dealt with Adam and Eve. And now he's dealing with Satan. And he says in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, again, cursory reading sounds like it could mean all of the descendants of Eve. But look at what it says next. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. Heal. 
All of a sudden, as you look closely now, you'll start to realize, wait a minute, it doesn't say they will have this happen to them, or you, he, they will bruise your head or crush your head and you will bruise their heel. He says he. Why does he say he? Because when God was talking about the offspring, when God was talking about the descendants, as much as that does apply to those who respond in faith, he's referring here specifically, though, to what? Christ. To who? To Jesus. Go to Genesis 22. Look at verses 9 through 18. In Genesis chapter 22, look at verses 9 through 18. It says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, this is, remember, Abraham has been told, take his son, sacrifice him on the mountain that I'll show you. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Now, are all the nations of the earth blessed because of Jews? Yes. But is it only referring no. to the Jews? No, it's referring specifically. Now, go back to Galatians now and look closely at what Paul says. Verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. We've seen a few of the promises. All right. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, you've got to understand, some might say, well, that's just Paul's interpretation. No, no, no. All scripture is what? It's God breathed. If you, you there's some that say, well, I don't accept all the Paul's teachings. Well, you've got a problem because back in, in Second Peter, if you remember, Peter talked about how some of the things that Paul wrote were, he called it scripture. He said some things are hard to understand, but he referred to Paul's writings as scripture. So we get a little insight here that a lot of times when it says offspring, as much as it is referring to the nation of Israel and the, the descendants of Abraham, a lot of times within that is a specific pointing to the one specific descendant, if you will, or offspring, which is Jesus. And so the promise to Abraham was that it would come through, the blessing would come through who? Jesus. And it was a promise made by God. And the only way you enter into it is by faith. faith. Now, the law came how long later? 430 years later. And Paul's saying this. Look, in a, in a human contract, once it's been ratified, 
You don't come 400 years, something years later and nullify it. It's been ratified in the same way. The law, which came 400 something years later, doesn't nullify the promise made by God or else what God said was not a promise. And so that's what he's saying is, is you Judaizers, uh, you've been trying to say that, well, the law, the law, the law. The law came a long time later. See, a lot of times people don't understand this is, you know, when there's all these different religions in the world today, even, let's take Islam, for example. I don't know how many of you even realize this, but Islam didn't even start until over 600 years, listen, after the start of the church. <coughs> Muhammad wasn't even born until over five to 600 years after the start of the church. Islam didn't even start until that time. But Christianity, which has its roots in Judaism, which actually has its roots in God's promise all the way through. That's why Romans tells us that a righteousness from God, which the law and the prophets testify to. Christianity is not a new faith that's been added on after Judaism. It has been what God has taught all along. The whole Bible from beginning to end has been pointing to Jesus Christ. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we read what the, the theologians call proto, the proto-evangelium which means the first gospel, when God told Satan in the garden, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. God was already referring to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was crucified and planned for his crucifixion before the foundations of the earth. Christianity is not a new religion. Christianity has been what the Bible has taught all along. He began to reveal himself through many different ways. He started a people for himself, the Jews, and it, from them was going to become the lineage of the Messiah. But all along, God had planned for Jesus. A lot of this other stuff that people believe in and worship, it all began at a later date. We sit and think, well, that's foolish. You know, how can you all of a sudden, what, what, what about all those people before Islam? Well, you know, what happened to them? You know, in the same way, Paul is saying, you can put in all this faith in the law. Do you realize the law didn't even come until 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham? No, let's keep moving. Keep moving. And let me just give you two scriptures to write down. We don't have time to go there. Write down Hebrews 13, 8 and Numbers 23, verse 19. Hebrews 13, 8 and Numbers 23, 19. Uh, I'm going to start Hebrews 13, 8 and uh, um, let you finish it. It says, Jesus Christ, the same Yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to read to you just for the sake of time. Numbers 23, verse 19. Listen to what it says. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and will he not do it? He, or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? For God to say I'm doing something different now. If you think that Christianity is plan B, you're wrong. God has this planned all along. It's always been by faith in his promise of his provision for man's sin. And he's been showing us all along. Now, we might have missed it because we read offspring as plural. And as much as it does refer in somewhat to the, the descendants of Abraham, it goes much deeper than that. And how do we know? Because here in Scripture, Paul said when he said offspring, he was referring to Jesus. That's very important. All right. Now, let's go look at the next section. Chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. Of Galatians. Now, why then the law? Okay, if it was added 430 years later, why do we need it then? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, Jesus, should come to whom the promise has been, had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. 
Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I'll be honest with you folks, this section here at the beginning where it talks about how now it came through an intermediary, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. It seemed a little jumbled to me over the years. But now that God's opened my eyes to what Paul was saying here, it's actually pretty cool and it's almost funny. All right. Paul's already dealt with what the law could not do earlier in our study. He's now dealing with what the law could do. And the law does two main things, and we're not going to take too much time here because we've already dealt with this most of all. But the law revealed sin. All right. The, the, the speed limit sign doesn't make you not speed. It only reveals that you have transgressed when you go over the limit. Right. The law draws the line. You cross it. And in doing so, the law reveals that you're a transgressor. All right. That that's that's what is part of it. Second thing, though, is the law watches over us as a moral guardian until Jesus is revealed. And the law prepares us for Christ by revealing not only our need for righteousness, but also the law's inability to help. In other words, the law's role has always been a temporary one. See, the Judaizers, though, saw the law as a direct revelation from God. But Paul points out that the law wasn't as direct a revelation as when God gave Abraham his promise. Okay, the, the, the Judaizers, they, they keep saying, we got, we got the law direct from God. Remember, he wrote it with his own finger. Remember how the Bible shows us? He wrote it with his own finger. We get the law as a direct revelation from God. And Paul says, actually, if you look closely at the scriptures and you look closely, you'll see that God, in giving the law, used an intermediary, actually used two mediators, Moses and angels. Put a bookmark here in Galatians. Go with me to Acts chapter 7. The Jews all along had believed and taught that the angels were involved in the giving of the law of God. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 35 through 38, and then verse 53, uh, in this sermon here, we'll see it clarified a little bit more. Acts chapter 7, verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea, in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Do you see again, the angels were involved in the giving of the law. And they'll get verse 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. All right. So he's pointing something out. He says, you guys think that the law was a direct revelation from God. But let me point something out to you. You actually got the law from God. But he used mediators. Remember how the people's reaction was when they saw God in his glory and, and they were afraid? They said, tell you what, you have God talk to you and then you tell us what he says. We're, we're a little bit scared of him. Moses was a mediator between God and the people. And the angels were involved in the giving of the law in some way. 
And so Paul's saying, you guys are real proud of this direct revelation from God because you got the law direct from God. But actually, he used, he used mediators. But now go back to what he's saying here. Verse 20. Uh, actually, back to verse 19. It was the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, which is Moses. Now, as an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. And apart from that by itself, it's kind of hard to understand. But he's saying this. If there's a mediator, that means there are two parties ratifying the contract. Right. Yep. Those of you who have been following any kind of sports, sometimes when the owners and the players can't get together, they have to get a mediator to try to settle the issue. But there's two parties trying to ratify the contract. And he says the fact that there's a mediator means that you had two parties getting involved in coming in making this contract valid. But God is one. So what he's saying is this. Think back to when God gave the promise to Abraham. Did God have an intermediary when he gave the promise to Abraham? No, he spoke directly to Abraham and made his promise. Um, that also means, well, what was the old covenant? The old covenant was God says, if you will do your part, I'll do my part. Remember what, what it was. You keep the law, I'll bless. You break the law, I have to curse, right? Um, How do we do? Not so well. But now when God in the direct revelation, more direct than the law, with no mediator, gave the promise to Abraham, he ratified it himself. He said, I do it all. You have no part in this. See, the earlier law was you do your part, I'll do my part. That's the contract of that covenant. But the promise which had been given 430 years later, bef earlier, before that contract or covenant was set up, actually was ratified by God himself saying, it's all me. It always has been all me. You just receive it by faith. So when he says, but God is one, he's saying he doesn't need a mediator, didn't need a mediator when he gave Abraham his promise. Do you see it? Yes. That's pretty cool. We play no part in this covenant. There is nothing we must do to make it valid. We either receive it as a gift or we reject it. Plain and simple. Now look at verse 25, though. Verse 25 goes on and says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're going to deal with some more stuff in here. I'm not to film you saying, what about the others? We're going to get back to it. But I want to point out something. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Well, what does it mean then by the guardian? What is, what is this guardian thing? Well, let's deal with the fact that the Bible, he said, why then the law? The law was added because of transgressions and it, the law came as a guardian. What does that mean? Well, remember when your kids were little and you had to teach them right from wrong when they were first born? Yes, ma'am. Tutor's good. It's a teacher. It's a schoolmaster's good. You need to keep in there, though, in all these translations, a picture of, morale, of guarding morality as well, though. It's, it's part of it, teaching morality. But when your kids were little and they were first born and they're starting to grow, you had to teach them right from wrong, didn't you? I mean, you had to teach them not to hit. You had to teach them not to bite. You had to teach them not to lie. You had to teach them not to steal. They... They grow up because of sin. <laughs> you didn't have to teach them how to lie. You didn't have to teach them how to say mine. You didn't have to teach them how to bite. All right. Yeah, exactly. You 
had to teach them right from wrong. And when they were young, you needed rules. You needed law when they were little. What was the purpose of the law, though? To show them where they were transgressing. Johnny, don't hit your sister. That's wrong. Now that he's been given the law, he's still going to hit his sister. But what has the law done? It now reveals to him, you broke the law. Now, you now know what you do is wrong. It doesn't stop him from doing it. All right, you used rules and regulations to teach and to guard them when they were little and needed to learn. But as they got older, hopefully, you were more concerned with them living obediently from a pure heart that only Christ can give. See, this is where a lot of parents made mistakes raising their kids. The law is necessary at the beginning of a child's life, the rules and the regulations, and here's where it's, but as they get older, you really, if you're gonna be a godly parent, you just can't keep giving your kids rules. What's gonna happen if you just keep putting your kids under law, under rules as they get older? They're gonna rebel. And they won't know how to handle themselves. And because as soon as they're no longer under mom and dad's rules, they go bonkers. They go nuts. But actually, a godly parent would say, look, when you were young, we gave you a lot of rules. But as you're getting older, we're taking some away now. Because we're hoping that you'll have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you'll have learned to let the Spirit of God be the one who teaches you not only right from wrong, but you'll live out of your love relationship for Him and let Him live His life through you. And as they get older, we, we taught our kids, and my kids, if they were here, would tell you, look, we told them, look, when you leave house and you go off to college, we won't be there. We'll have no control over what you watch or what you do or what you drink or what you don't. We can't control that, nor are we supposed to. But hopefully we have taught you how to hear from God yourself. The rules we gave you when you were little, they were a guardian for a time to teach you right from wrong. Open your eyes to the fact that you got a sin problem, but it hopefully made you realize I need help with my sin problem. And then we could introduce you to Jesus. And now you learn to live with him living his life through you. Remember, it's not law versus grace. It's law versus life in the spirit is what we're looking at now. We're looking at law versus life in the spirit. All right. Now. Rules will not make them good or even behave. They'll, they'll cause frustration and eventually despair and rebellion. Rules are necessary when we're young to show us our problem, but we need Jesus to make the real change in us. Only he can do it. And your quote unquote rules added to faith in him are not helping. I'm going to say this to some of you now. You need to receive this for yourself. See, it's easy for us to think about our kids and how we might have even made those mistakes where we tried to keep our kids under the law all the way through. But what about you right now? You see, the Lord sent the law for a time because of sin to teach you right from wrong, to teach you that you're a transgressor, to teach you that you weren't supposed to do those things that were naturally within you, to open your eyes to your need of a savior. But Jesus, once he comes in, he doesn't want you to now be trying to follow the rules. But isn't that how we were raised in church? Now that you're a Christian, here are the rules. And the Bible here says that was never God's intent. The guardian, which was the law, was to help us see and to, to, to teach us and to train us. But once Christ came, what does it say in verse 25? Now that faith has come, 
We are no longer under a guardian. Jesus says to you, Christians, when you entered into that saving relationship with me, I no longer am judging whether or not you're keeping the rules. I want you to learn how to live out the truth of the law, the righteousness of the right and wrong, which is, which is true of who God is and what it says. But I want you to learn to live it now with the spirit of God guiding and directing you. I want you to not steal or not covet or not lie or not commit murder. I want you to do that not because that's what the rule says, but because of your relationship with Christ and your relationship with me, God says. And I want you to teach I want to teach you how to how, let me live it out through you. You see, life in the spirit now has power to do what the law could not do. Life in the spirit. If God is within you, if Christ is within you, you have now within you power to live out what the law could not accomplish. For example, do you realize that the spirit of God is the one who's going to convict you of sin? Listen, to, you know, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says uh, earlier in chapter 16, verse 7, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I go away, then the comforter will come, the Holy Spirit will come. And this is what it says in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin in regard to guilt, guilt in regard to sin. And I'm going to paraphrase it, the need for righteousness and the fact that there's a coming judgment. The Spirit of God not only is convicting the world of their sin, but the Spirit of God now living within you is the one that's going to be teaching you right from wrong sin. He doesn't want you trying to follow the rules of the Bible. He doesn't want you to try to live according to the law. He wants you to listen to Him and has, have His Spirit teach you yes or no. Stay away. It's allowed. But what about this? And what about drinking? And what about this? And we, we want the rules. And I say to you, what is Jesus? Is Jesus letting you do it? Is his spirit letting you do it? Is his spirit not letting you do it? Because actually, and this was where it gets really hard for some of us, in some of these areas that Paul talks about in Romans 14 that we call gray areas, disputable matters, God might allow someone to do something that he might not allow you. Well, for us as Christians who have been raised that there's a right and a wrong and a black and a white, that's kind of hard for us, isn't it? There are some that God says, I plan for you to never be married. The Bible teaches that there are some that have been designed by God that way. There are others, you're free to marry. Well, which is it? What's the Spirit of God saying to you? Allison, were you going to say something? I saw your hand there. Yeah, Paul talks about it too in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Exactly. Folks, I don't want you now that, that Christ has come, now that the offspring promise referred to has become your Lord and Savior. I don't want you trying to live by the law of the Bible anymore. I want you to live according to the Spirit of God within you. Oh, and by the way, he'll line it up with the law of the Bible, but you're also going to find that some of the stuff that we have over the years said, well, this is always right and this is always wrong, Actually, that may not be the case. That's why the, we got Romans 14. One's going to consider every day alike. One other's going to consider one day more sacred than another. Each, each needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, underneath the leadership of the Spirit, there's going to be areas that we think, well, I don't think you should have seen that movie. What did the Spirit of God say to you? Like I told you, when our kids were little, we told them the rules. 
And we had them under a lot of rules. But as they got older, we started to remove the rules because they came into a relationship with Christ. And we now want them to learn to listen to the Spirit of God within them. The Spirit of God wants the same with you now. The Spirit, the Spirit of God is the one who convicts of sin. He is able to show you right from wrong. Second thing the Spirit of God now does is He gives life and the power needed for a changed life. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to what he says here. It's a very familiar passage, but I don't want you to miss something here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, there's something here, though, that we've missed. It's more than just the power of God for you to be saved. It's the power of God for you to be able to live it out. Salvation's more than you just having your name put on a list and now you're going to heaven. Salvation is more than just passing from death to life and now I was going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. Folks, salvation in the mind of God is the whole thing. He saved you for a reason. And he now wants to live within you and let you let him live his life through you and his power. Well, let's make it a little bit more clear. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 20 and 21. And this is something most Christians do not understand. And to be honest with you, I'm learning. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see it? It's God's power working within you. Too many of us have been told, hey, you've been saved. Now you've got to live the Christian life. You ought to show God your love for him by being righteous and by saying no to sin and, and, and prove your love by being faithful to church and, and hear your rules and, 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 and hear the things you're here to follow. And we go around judging each other by how well we did and whether or not we're, they're raising their kids right or whether or not they're dressed appropriately. And, well, I wouldn't have sung that song, you know, and I don't like that kind of. And we, without even realizing it, we spent most of our time in Christianity judging whether everybody's keeping the rules. Oh, it kills us. We put on the armor and fight with ourselves. Folks, listen to what Paul's saying here. I don't want you to miss the power and the depth of doctrine here. The law was added for a time because of sin to show what the sin was, to reveal your problem, to show you were a transgressor. But now it was just a temporary thing to reveal the need for Christ. And once Christ comes, you're no longer under the guardian. Stop using the law to measure whether or not you're doing good or bad and start learning to listen to the Spirit of God within you. Oh, but don't you think there'll be people, Jim, who will say, well, the Spirit of God told me it was okay. And it's obvious those things aren't okay. You know what? There will be those who try that. But I'm pretty sure that God's able to take care of that too, don't you? Especially if he lives within them. How many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, how many of you might have even tried to push the boundaries of what the Spirit has allowed in your life? Mike? <laughs> I was being nice. We've all pushed it a time or two, haven't we? You know, growing up as, as a pastor, or a youth pastor, and then being associate pastor and senior pastor, it's been amazing to me how most of my Bible questions were, how close can I get to sin? 
You know, you know, is this sin? What about this? Is this sin? What about? And we're. That shows that we're still looking at the law. Instead of really understanding, well, is the spirit of God letting you do it? Well, don't ask me that. You know, I just want to know what the rules are. We, we're still thinking, we're still putting the people under the guardian. Go ahead. And he may let us break those rules just so he can show us where he needs us to be and get us where he needs us to be. He does it all sorts of different ways. That's definitely one of them. Actually, I know in my life, and this is hard for some of you to hear and understand, but actually in the times where I actually pushed the limits of what I believe the Spirit told me, he even blessed to show that it was grace and not by how good I kept the rules. Now, that's kind of weird. He doesn't do that all the time. I don't recommend testing it. But in my personal walk, because of my misunderstanding of who he was, there were a couple of times that I know because of the sin that I had committed, he shouldn't have blessed. But he did. And I was like, God, this goes against everything I was raised to believe. And he opened my eyes to the fact of you still think it is according to how good you've been. It's my grace. Oh, he didn't give me carte blanche to then do whatever I want. As a loving father, he'll discipline me and he'll shape me and he'll mold me. But folks, why don't we start believing that the God who lives within us and the power that lies within us is not only able to make the changes in our life that he wants to accomplish and stop trying to help him, but why don't we start believing that he's able to get the people around us there too and stop worrying about everybody else and whether or not they're keeping the rules. It's going to be interesting when we get before him and he asks uh now, let's just run down the list of how many people you've judged that were of our family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trust me, we're all, we'd be there for a while on that part if that happens. Folks, there's something else the Spirit of God within you will do. The Spirit of God within you will give you the inner peace and the confirmation that you're right with God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, the Bible talks about how He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, but power, love, and sound mind. But he's not giving us the spirit of fear, but he's also the spirit, giving us the spirit of sonship, where we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. God will give you peace and confirmation that you're his, but he will not do it as you're trying to earn it by keeping the rules. Because he doesn't want you thinking his blessing comes from your obeying the rules. Blessing comes from who you are in him. So listen to what, how God helped me put it right down in my notes this way. Much of what is called Christianity today is still the attempt to keep rules and regulations with an emphasis on man's effort to control behavior. This is not Christianity. Remember, it's law versus life in the spirit. The law was for a time and it's necessary. But once Christ came, it's no longer law. But I'm going to open it up for a little bit of discussion, and we've touched on it a little bit, but I don't, I, I don't feel, like, feel, like, I feel like we need to not just skim this too, too shallow. Why are we so afraid of this truth? Why are we so afraid of now that Christ has come, we're no longer under the guardian of law? Why are we afraid of that? Go ahead, Allison, and then Jim. He's going to ask us to do things we don't want to do. Yeah, that's definitely. He, if we just know what the rules are, we can decide which ones we do and which ones we don't. Yeah. What else? I think that the number one thing for me is that I've not trusted him to save myself. I've actually thought that I could do a better job. Mm. In other words, you're sitting there trying to be good, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to win his love. And uh, it's, uh, he's had to deal with me very hard 
in the fact that uh, my love outtrumps your nonsense of trying to be better or so I really feel it, and I really feel that stems from um, um, pride. Well, like we said at the beginning of the study, our flesh wants credit. Go ahead. Go ahead, then we'll get to you, Jim. Go ahead. kept the rules. Well, the, remember the older brother in the prodigal son story? Right. I've done it all right. I've slaved. And he was just as far away from the father as was the one running around with the prostitutes. Go ahead, Jim. measure everybody's church attendance. We measure whether or not uh, they sang loud enough or whether they raised their hands or didn't raise their hands. We are so worried about what everybody else is thinking that we just said, look, just tell me the rules and I'll line up with the rules. Why would Baptists go to the bar and witness to people in the bar? Right. Right. Well, God may lead them to. Uh, and we'll get right to you, Chris and Allison. Uh, has any of you ever read uh, the story, God Smuggler, about Brother, Brother Andrew. And those of you that have, there's a story in there. And this guy grew up as a strong Christ, young Christian and, and teetotaler. And on one of these trips where he was smuggling Bibles into another part of the, the world and where it was, country was closed, and he, had, he was driving around in his Volkswagen bug, he got, he got stuck in the mud. And it was so stuck that he couldn't get it out. And it's like 10-something in the morning. And he hears down the road this bar and he goes there, and he doesn't even speak their language, but he's able to communicate through sign language and gestures what the problem was. And these guys all come out of the bar, and they pick up his Volkswagen, and they un unstick it. And then they all wrap their arms around him and tell him, come on back and have a beer with us. And he said he was torn. He was wrestling because I've never had a drink in my life, you know. And he said at that instance, he felt like the Spirit said, drink. Now... There's a lot of people in this room right now that your belly's doing, mm, this is what I'm talking about. Now again, does that mean that we can just go drink? No, 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 no. But are you learning to listen to the Spirit of God on a daily basis and not the rules? And when we as Christians are trying to live our lives by the rules, we're really not walking in the Spirit. We're not. We're not living Christianity. We're still saying God isn't able to fully save me, fully live out his life through me, unless I help him by doing good, like you said. Chris, go ahead. Oh, they sure are going to think it. Yep. Well, think about what happened to Jesus. I mean, John the Baptist comes and they said, 
this guy's got a demon. I mean, he, he, he doesn't do anything but eat locusts and wild honey. Jesus comes on the scene. He does what they said that they said John wouldn't do. And what did they say? Well, he's a drunken, drunkard and a glutton. It doesn't matter what you do, folks. People are going to have a problem with it. But I'm telling you from someone that's being released who now understands a little bit more what it means to live in the Spirit and not under the law. You know what? There's a freedom and a joy. Oh, and people are going to have a problem with it. And you know what? You're going to have to learn how to listen and you might push the boundaries a little bit more than God wants you to. But he can take care of that, too. He's a loving father. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus looked Peter in the eye and says, you're going to act like you don't even know me three times before the rooster crows. Oh, and by the way, when you come back, I want you to lead. Amen. Did you ever catch that? Yes. You're going to deny you even know me before the rooster crows three times. Oh, well, by the way, if you want me to give you a real, real insight, uh, you're going to swear one of those times. You're going to cuss. And when you come back, I want you to be the leader. It wasn't even a week later. It wasn't even a week later. So actually, it was at, at the time of, uh, he was leader before that, a week, but then at Pentecost, it was 40 days later that, that he actually preached. I had this one black preacher one time teaching on that, and, and, uh, and uh, um, Jesus goes and finds Peter after the resurrection, you know, and he actually seeks him out. And, and uh, Peter, Peter, Peter says, Lord, why would you even want to talk to me right now? Uh, I've done all these things. I've, I've been such a horrible failure. I've, I pretended I didn't even know you, and I couldn't even tell that girl that I believed in you. Why, Lord? Why would you even want to chase me down right now? I should be like in the back of the bus. Why would you even be talking to me right now? And this black preacher said, because Peter, I'm, I'm putting, together, putting together the order of worship for Pentecost, and I'm thinking about penciling you in for the sermon. <laughs> Folks, when we really come to understand what it means to be in Christ and to be free in Christ, we're so afraid that God couldn't control us if we lived free that we quickly say, put everybody back under the rules. Like I told you, when I teach series at churches on grace, the pastors some and say, I know that's true. I know what the Bible says, but you can't tell them. Receive for yourself this truth. That's true. Run them up. Yep. I, you know, I think that one of the things, though, that uh, these next four verses, uh, every time I read them, 26, 27, 28, and 29, it is so stunning uh, because everything we've said is true. However, God's in control, and he said, uh, but you're my son, so get over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we got, it's my game plan. We've got a new covenant, and, and I'm going to carry Paul home. And oh, by the way, you're my son. You're a joint heir. I mean, to me, like I said, 26, 7, 8, 9. I mean, at the end, it, you look at 29, and in mine it says, and then you are Abraham's seed. Yeah. Singular. Yeah. Well, who was the seed? In Jesus. Abraham was Jesus, but now he calls those who believe in him the seed. Where we and the are. The deal is, is if I'm in him and he's in me, buddy, you are the seed. 
You're not Christ, but you are, the, you are a seed. That's not me. He became, who knew no sin became sin so that we might what? Become what? His righteousness. We all agree that our sin was put on Jesus and he took our sin. How come we aren't willing to accept that we have his righteousness? Because I'm not doing so good. You're still under the guardian still for some reason. You're not under the guardian. You are free in Christ. His righteousness is now yours. But what if I don't live it out? You don't know who you're talking about. If he's living in you, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. How do you receive this? By faith. And you're not to be washed back and forth like the sea. Maybe he will or maybe he won't. He will. You are a saint and get over it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this next section of scripture here, um, were you going to say something? Or? I saw you, were you just adjusting. Okay. All right. Um, I just don't usually get anything from the, from the balcony. So I just, if someone, someone, in the balcony, if someone in the balcony over there wants to speak, I want to let you. Um, this next section, though, he, he, remember what was going on. The Judaizers were still trying to put a, a hierarchy of who was more righteous according to how good they were keeping the law. Remember? You're, you're not fully saved unless you're circumcised. Oh, you've got to still do stuff to make yourself even more you know, okay before God. And Paul's saying, look, there's no hierarchy here. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many as you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. By the way, he's not teaching here that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That would, if that were the case, he'd be contradicting everything else he's been saying in this whole book. This is just simply, if you have been put into Christ and Christ has been put into you. That's what the word baptizo means. That's why when someone says to me, I want to be baptized, if you ask me to sprinkle you, I won't. Because I believe the Bible teaches really clearly baptism is a dunking. It's a being put into. It, it, that's what it means. And so, but he's saying for those who were baptized or put into Christ, there is need, have put on Christ and there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. He's talking hierarchy. Please listen closely to what I'm saying. There have been those who have taken this passage and tried to say, well, that means that, there, that, that women can do the same thing as men. Because no, 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 that's not what he's saying here. Because remember, all through the scripture, the Jewish person was still Jew. The Gentile was still a Gentile. They had just been made equal. As some people put it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody's equal before God. Now, as the Bible teaches, husbands and wives are equal in God's eyes. They have different roles and responsibilities. I have a different role and responsibility in my part of the kingdom because of the gifting and the calling on my life. That doesn't make me better than anybody else. That's why I hate the clergy lady separation. That's why I don't like to be called pastor. I don't like to be called reverend. You can call me Jim. I have a role and I have a responsibility called by God, but I don't call you usher. I don't call you Sunday school teacher. I don't call you security guy. You know, these guys over here, golf cart driver. But I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't call you that. Don't, there's no hierarchy in the sense of more, one's more valuable in God's eyes. We're all equal. But it doesn't remove the different roles that God has for us. So don't let this passage, have someone try to use this passage to teach you don't have roles. We still have roles. But there's something here that a lot of us have missed, and myself included. The Jewish male would typically in his morning prayer say something like this. God, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The Jewish man in his morning daily prayers would say that. I thank you that you haven't made me a Gentile, a slave, and worst of all, a woman. 
I don't even want to go down that road, Marisa. But so and you look now look at this passage. What does he say? There's no junior Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. He was using that Jewish prayer and say, there's no hierarchy with God. You're all righteous. Now, but but don't you think that that uh, that that Grandma Cuckoo over here is more righteous than maybe Neil because she's doing a better job? Uh Uh-uh. Our righteousness is what? It's in Christ. Your righteousness is in Christ. Someone now. Yes, ma'am. What's your question? Okay. In Matthew, it says, except to be born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Right. Yet Jesus said on the cross to the thief, for tonight you shall be with me in paradise. That thief wasn't baptized. Right. But what makes you think that the water means baptism? Well, I don't necessarily believe that it does, but most people think. Right. Well, they're, 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 they're interpreting that passage wrong when they say water and the spirit. Right. But again, born of the water and the spirit doesn't mean baptism. It has to be baptism. So that's that you're starting off with a wrong interpretation of that passage. And so because of where we are, if you want afterwards, I'll I'll answer that. But it's a longer answer than we have time since we're about to wrap up here. But real short answer is born of the water and the spirit is not talking about your literal water baptism. So when they say that they're they're taking the passage out of context. All right. All right. Now. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and we'll wrap up with this. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you. As I have been reading that to you, God has been speaking to me. And he says, we're going to have to deal with that when we come back (laughs) after the first of the year. There's too much here for me to try to rush through this. I wanted to because there's some really cool stuff. But that'll have to make you come back January 8th. Let's just stop where we are for tonight. Father, um, I thank you so much for the fact that uh, you've begun to excite us even more a little bit to the truth of what is really here. And Lord, there's a side of us that says that's too good to be true. Is that really so? Father, may we really understand. May we really believe that what you say about us no longer being under guardian, the law, but under, we're in Christ. We really are your children. We really are not only heirs, you've given us your righteousness. And that your spirit living within us will teach us the right and the wrong in our lives and what it means to follow you. And that your spirit within us will cause us to obey your law according to the way that you designed it. And Lord, may we believe that not only are you able to do it in our lives and we'll trust you, that we'll also believe that you're able to do it in the lives of those around us. Oh, Lord, when our kids were little, they needed the rules because they didn't know right from wrong. They didn't even know they were transgressing when they bit Timmy or Susie. They just did what was natural. But the law, the rules showed them that they were transgressors. 
and began the journey of opening their eyes to the fact that they needed help when it came to sin. Prepared them and trained them as a schoolmaster or a tutor, as a guardian for the answer to their problem, which is only one that can fix it is Jesus. And Father, may we believe that this covenant that you have entered into with us has actually been there all along from the promise to Abraham. And you ratify it all yourself. And all we do is respond in faith. Father, we've responded in faith to understanding our need for you to make it possible for us to go to heaven. But very few have really responded in faith to the fact that only you can live your life through us now. And we, unfortunately, have had the quote-unquote Judaizers creep in and teach us, along with what Jesus has done, now you have to do these things. Oh, Father, and we've tried. We've set out to be more faithful and read our Bibles and to share the gospel on a regular faithful basis. And we've tried to be good Christians. We've, we've tried to do in order to be pleasing to you. And we found it frustrating, debilitating, it ladens us with guilt. Oh, we read about joy and we read about peace and we read about the transformed life, but we start to question whether or not we're even saved. And many of us have gone through that whole miserable journey of, well, maybe I'm not even a Christian because I try to live it out and I can't. But Lord, you're starting to show us that all along, not only the beginning part of salvation of trusting you as our Savior and having our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, passing from death to life has been done by you and you alone, but also the every other day part of it only can be done by you alone. And Father, I pray that this truth would sink in, that we would maybe spend some time allowing your scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 to sink in, that not only have you got our sin, we've received your righteousness. And we're in you. And we're your child. And Lord, I know because it's happening in my life. <laughs> there's victory over sin and I'm not even trying anymore. Lord, there's a joy and a peace. And I look at people different. I love them when before I tried to and I couldn't. Lord, when I'm really receiving the truth of the gospel, it's making a transformation in me as a husband and as a dad. It's making a transformation in me as a minister. Oh, Lord, may we receive your truth by faith. And we'll trust you for how it all plays out. And we thank you ahead of time for how it will. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.